world would be a great place if it wasn't for the people, don't you think? Your company would be the best place in the world to work at if it wasn't for your co-workers. Family reunions would be the greatest thing to attend if it wasn't for your relatives. Sadly, churches at times are a great place of fellowship if it wasn't for the people. The challenge of being a vibrant Christian, of possessing integrity, of living your life for the glory of God, means that you interact with a diversity of people, some who are difficult, others who are devoted. What kind of a person are you? People come to us in all types, don't they? I prefer that top row of people. They seem to be uh, kind of frustrating to deal with. More of a challenge. Those of us who like a challenge, we like to interact with some of those people, but those, those nice people at the bottom, those kind, devoted people, who needs any help with those? The issue of getting along with others is a challenge. In days gone by, books like Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People were very popular. People took courses because they wanted to learn how to cope how to cope better at home, how to cope better at work, how to cope better in their career path. Now today, you turn to the internet and find websites like dealingwithdifficultpeople.org. That's how real it is. People have to go to the internet. In fact, if you go to Amazon, Amazon offers a lot of help. Amazon Books and our local bookstores offer a lot of help. Think of some of the titles that are out there. For example, Coping with Difficult People. The proven effective battle plan that has helped millions deal with the troublemakers in their lives at home and at work. The great title, except unless you read the sign across the road at the church that said, the person in the world who gives me the, great, the greatest trouble is, is me. Or how about since strangling isn't an option? Wow. That, that's definitely not written for churches. Dealing with difficult people, common problems and uncommon solutions. How about dealing with people you can't stand? You see, we all acknowledge that there are challenges that we bump up against other people. Other people to us at times really bristle us. Even within a church context, we may both be believers, but we have a difficult time engaging them. We have times of conflict. We have times of strife. Toxic co-workers. Surely that couldn't be in the context of a church. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. The Apostle Paul in the first century, he wrote to this young man who he'd left on the island of Crete. Titus chapter 1, verse 4 says to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. We're going to come back to that at the end of our study. Because what, what Titus needs, needed is what we need today. We need grace. The only way we're going to grow and develop and mature as followers of Christ is if we have more of God's grace. It's not a case of trying harder. It's not a case of gritting our teeth and sort of holding on. We need a fresh touch from God. And Paul had left Titus on the island of Crete to straighten out what was left unfinished and then to appoint elders in every city. And in the process of giving leadership to the island of Crete in this strategy of reaching Crete for Christ, as we come to the close of this letter in chapter 3, we have some very specific instructions for Titus. Very clear directions by the Apostle Paul, who's operating under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ as an apostle, 
and challenging him in terms of how to deal with difficult and devoted people. Follow along, please. Titus 3, verses 9 through 15. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. The challenge that Paul gave to Titus is a challenge that I think is very relevant for us today. In fact, instead of looking at the difficult people in our lives, we need to look in the mirror, as it were, and take a look in terms of how we are living our lives. What kind of challenges are we bringing to other people? Are we clearly and accurately reflecting the grace of God which we claim to have experienced? So let's take a look at these difficult people. How can you tell? How do you know if you're a difficult person? Well, of course, you could ask your spouse. But let's go on to something a little more, uh, more profound, a little more objective. You know, ask your kids. Ask a coworker. No, the Apostle Paul outlines for Titus some of the principles, some of the challenges that Titus will face in dealing with people. So let's work our way through this passage. Difficult people, according to this instruction back in verse 9 are people who major on the minors. Difficult people choose to make a big deal out of small things. We'd use the word nitpicky. We'd use the word hung up or the expression hung up on the details. And difficult people do that. In, in, in the context in which Paul is writing, he says to Titus, there are going to be some people who try to engage you in, first of all, foolish controversies, genealogies, arguments, and quarrels about the law. Avoid those. Avoid them in your own life. Avoid them in your interaction with other people because those are unprofitable. These topics are unprofitable and useless. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and at the close of it thought, well, that was a waste of time? We're just right back to where we started. We just keep going over the same ground over and over and over again. Paul, in this instruction to Titus, guides us later in terms of how we're to deal with those kind of people. First of all, avoid it. When you see that kind of a topic coming, nip it in the bud. Cut the conversation short. Turn it to something more positive. It's so easy to be lured into a very negative uh, conversation pattern, isn't it? Difficult people major on the minors. Difficult people prove divisive. By the way, they insist on their way, their opinion, their ideas. They perhaps do more talking than listening. 
And their strategy, if you follow it to its logical conclusion, proves divisive, perhaps in a family, in a business, and in a local church. Paul says in dealing in verse 10, as he instructs Titus to warn him, notice in verse 11, he says, you may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. This divisive person gives so much evidence, they can't even tell how warped they are. They think they're normal. It's everyone else who has the problem. It it is amazing, it is remarkable how distorted perceptions people can have of their own reality. They can be totally off-base. They can be argumentative, and they're always insisting you have the problem, not them. Are you like that yourself? You see, when I do something, I excuse it. I've got all my reasons figured out for why my conduct is acceptable. But when you do it, it's sin. <laughs> you know, when I share news, uh, several years ago when our girls were much younger, we went down to uh, uh, Prince Edward Island on a summer vacation. Saw the Anne of Green Gables and a show that was there, uh, well-performed. And uh, one of my favorite lines in that show is, uh, you know, we don't repeat gossip, so you better listen the first time. You know, so when I'm just talking about another person, that's okay. But when you do it, it's gossip. When, when somebody asks me something and I sort of alter the truth just to make myself look better in terms of how I handled it, that, that's just, that's just a, my perspective on the situation. When you do it, you're lying. These difficult people prove divisive. Now, notice how Paul challenges Titus to deal with this kind of a person. Warn them, he says. Avoid them if possible. Keep your distance. Why? Because you are lured into their trap. You'll become like the people you associate with. Warn them. And at times, in this case, wow, those are strong instructions, aren't they, in verse 10. Warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. Paul was one of those uh, take charge kind of guys, wasn't he? But here, under the direction of the Spirit of God, he's saying, be very careful how you engage with people who are difficult and divisive. So I ask you this morning, are you that kind of a person? Have you spent a good portion of your life in your family or at work or in a church context majoring on the minors? nitpicking about little details with a result that you just stir up a lot of division. You prove divisive. Your strategy has actually split relationships. You've broken up good friends because of the way you've spoken, the way you've acted. In sharp contrast to this, the Apostle Paul moves Titus to consider devoted people. And I ask you this morning, are you a devoted person? The major emphasis in this last section of his letter is to extract principles of describing people who are truly sold out to Christ. People who have given Christ their lives and are living for the glory of God 24-7 by his grace. What are these devoted people like? Follow with me. Back in verse 12. Down in verse 12. 
Devoted people are people who are willing to adjust their plans to serve others. Notice what he says. Paul is giving instructions. He has co-workers who are laboring with him. And he's sending them on a mission. Verse 12. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. Paul had a plan. Paul had instructions. Paul had a mission. And he needed other people to join him in fulfilling that mission. (laughs) I wonder in the conversation, we don't know the background, we don't know these men outside of this context, but I wonder in the conversation between Paul and Artemis or Tychicus if if they said, well, I'm busy that weekend. I I don't want to go on some missions trip. I've, I've got holidays to look after. You're going to interrupt my life if you change my plans. And and Titus saying to Paul, but Nicopolis? I don't want to go to Nicopolis. Do you know where Nicopolis is? How many know where Nicopolis is? You've decided to winter there. That's great for you, but I, I don't want to adjust my plans for you. We call that selfish, don't we? But in contrast, these selfless people are willing to adjust their plans to serve others. How amazing when you find a busy person and you ask them to take on a responsibility and they agree to it. They somehow fit you in. Devoted people also engage in ministry projects. Verse 13. Serious instruction by Paul to Titus. Do everything you can. Wow. Oh, that that would be characteristic of our lives. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Do all that you can, provide all that they need. Wow. You see, devoted people are partners in ministry. Devoted people are thinking about other people at home or across this country or around the world. And when they hear of a need, they are saying to to the Lord, what can I do to serve you? How can I be used to answer that project? To further the work of the gospel in this part or to the ends of the earth? Devoted people live productive lives. Verse 14. They live productive lives by engaging in good activities. Notice verse 14. Our people must learn. I take it from that statement by Paul that it's not automatic. That normally if left to ourselves, we operate on a different circuit altogether. Turn back with me please to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Just a couple of verses there in comparison and Reinforcing this same principle. Philippians 2 and verse 19. Paul is writing to this group of Christians in Philippi and he writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. What a a compliment. What a testimony. There's just nobody like Timothy who is genuinely interested in others. Now, notice the next verse. 
For everyone looks out for his own interests. Not those of Jesus Christ. Had Paul written that to people outside of these walls, we would have said, well, that's no surprise. People, by nature, are basically selfish. What is remarkable in Philippians and reinforced in this principle in Titus is that he's writing about Christians. He's speaking to Christians and saying, by and large, apart from the touch of the grace of God and evidence of the Spirit of God, everyone looks out for their own interests. We move through life saying, me, 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 me. How old does a child have to be before interacting with other friends lays hold of some toy and says what? Mine. And those little boys and little girls who latch on to toys and say, mine, grow up to become adults. Men and women, full-grown men and women who hold on to their possessions and say, mine. Everyone, how shocking, everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That's a rebuke, that's a challenge. And so back to Titus chapter 3, Paul says to Titus, our people, Christians, fellow believers, must learn of all the things we have to pick up in education from God, this is, this is an important principle. We must learn to devote ourselves to doing what is good in order that we may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Devoted people, verse 15, also express their love for other believers. Everyone with me sends you greetings. It's remarkable how connected the believers are with each other. Many of you know that I visited the island of Cuba a number of times in terms of ministry projects. And what has amazed me is the selflessness of the believers who are there. Regardless of denomination, the evangelical church has cooperated together, has banded together under one mission... And that is Cuba for Christ. Cuba para Cristo. I hope the Spanish-speaking people will forgive me. <laughs> Cuba for Christ. Others, Lord. Yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others. That I might live like thee. That old hymn says it well, doesn't it? Here Paul is saying... All the Christians with me, all the believers who are with me, my co-workers, young and old, rich and poor, send you greetings. We are engaged with you in what you're doing. We're praying for you. Greet those who love us in the faith. You see, Christianity is a relational faith. When we are in fellowship with God, when we walk in the light, 1 John says, as God is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. How true that is. Verse 15b. These devoted people need and rely on God's grace. If you study through the letters of Paul, you will know that they are marked 
by grace. Every letter he wrote from Romans through to Philemon begins and ends with a reference to grace. You see, Paul had learned very early on as a Christian, and I trust each of us here this morning has learned that same principle, that we need, we must have God's grace. We, we are relying on God's grace. We're not going to go one step forward unless God in his grace sustains us, unless God in his grace equips us to do that. Look back with me to Titus chapter 1, verse 4, as he begins this opening letter. The passage I referred to earlier, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Those of you in leadership need grace. Those of you in followership need grace. Grace is something that is a daily necessity. And these devoted people have have caught this. They've caught the vision. I can't do this by myself. I've often wondered how many times God puts us in situations that are way over our head simply to teach us to rely upon him. I wonder if he does not allow such great pressure on our lives so that we are more dependent on him than we were before. There may be a time, there may be some situation you're facing this morning, something you've wrestled with, nothing seems to be changing, and you're looking up in desperation saying, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And God says, by my grace, you can We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So let's ask ourselves some questions. The so what? My wife often says this after I preach, so what? Now, is that a difficult thing to say? Or would a devoted person say that? What's the application? How can I tell where I fit on this grid? What are some things that I need to work on in order to move forward in God's grace. Number one, do I major on the minors? Am I hung up on the minutia, as it were, the tiny insignificant things? Do I argue with people over insignificant things? Number two, do I strengthen or destroy the unity of this church fellowship? Part of my responsibility as the Director of Development for Toronto Baptist Seminary is to visit churches all over this province. I've been in a number of communities, and what is remarkable, what has grieved my heart, and I know the heart of God, is to see the strain that is in many churches. Churches that at one time showed such great strength and such vibrancy in terms of their witness to the community now caught up in some internal struggle. How sad. How tragic. But instead of throwing stones at others, as I have left some of those meetings, sometimes with very key leaders, I've asked them, and I've asked myself rather, do I strengthen? What am I doing? What can I do to strengthen the unity of this church fellowship? How can my service strengthen and fortify what God is already doing here. Turn with me again to Ephesians, back to the book of Ephesians. 
chapter 4. The theme of unity, the theme of our engagement in unity is something that runs through Paul's letters, not just in Crete, but in each of the communities where God, by his grace, had privileged him with a task of leadership. Ephesians 4, notice verse 1 through 3. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, notice these words. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's written to the entire church as a group and individually members of that church are to do everything they can, make every effort, pour their energies to preserve what God has given them. Make every effort. I ask you this morning, are you doing that? Back to Titus 3, third question. Am I willing to adjust my plans to serve others? You know, I, I found the emergencies of people never happen at a convenient time. You found that, Pastor Steve? People just aren't very considerate in their emergency. I mean, I mean get with it, folks. If you're going to have a crisis, have it during daylight hours, please. You know, at a convenient time, and certainly don't have it when someone's on vacation. Come on. Oh, no. The test of grace, the mark of grace is where I am willing, where I am inconvenienced. I'm put out. I'm like Timothy in in Philippians chapter 2, who has a genuine interest in the welfare and well-being of other people. And when they call for help, when they email for help, when they text me for help, however they get the message to me, I'm willing to drop what I'm doing in order to be interested and concerned about them. Number four, what ministry projects do I support in person through prayer, financial, and practical means? One of the most exciting ministries that God has privileged me to be a part of here is Global Ministries. The committee, we just get a a snapshot of what God is doing here and around the world. And it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing what God is doing and what a privilege for us to be able to invest in people, invest in resources, and equip others and make a difference to the ends of the earth. I think individually and as families, you have to ask yourself and say, what can we take on? Some of you have done this through compassion. As you've prayed for and supported and invested in the lives of children for the sake of Christ. Others are able to take resources and share and partner with other people or perhaps leave and head off on a missions trip. Investing in the lives of others. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to support very practically, very prayerfully, and personally where I can these ventures for the cause of Christ. Number five. What good activities am I involved in on a regular basis? Now, the challenge for all of us is to find balance, isn't it? It's not a case of running 24-7 and just running ourselves ragged, but reevaluating, stepping back perhaps from some, taking on new responsibilities, and saying, what good things can I be doing for others? How can I reflect the love of God to other people here in Oshawa? 
Number six, how may I cultivate stronger links with fellow believers locally, right here in the city, provincially, nationally, and internationally? What new venture of faith would God want me to take on? I love Hebrews chapter 11. It's the great story, the great chapter of the heroes of the faith. And running through that chapter is a simple expression, by faith. By faith. I ask you this morning, what will be written over your life when you pass into eternity? What, what projects are, have you taken on that, that will stretch you, that in order for them to be accomplished, it will take God's intervention? You see, the opportunity God has given to us is to trust him. God has taken me places and allowed me the privilege of ministry in places I would never have dreamed possible. When I offered myself to him, when I sang that song and, and, and meant it, as Pastor Steve led us in just before the message. What can I do but thank him? How can I spend every day of my life making the most of every opportunity for the glory of God? Last question. How may I experience myself and share with others more of God's grace? That's the burden on my heart today. I trust it's the burden on your heart. You see, this letter is often neglected by people. People avoid it. They say, well, I'm not in leadership. It must be, it's Titus. He was probably a pastor. He was in leadership. I'll read another part of the New Testament. But the very last verse of this letter, the very last sentence penned by the Apostle Paul, indicates to us that this letter was for public consumption. This letter was to be read and acted upon by every believer throughout the the island of Crete. Grace be with you all. Now, if I was reading this down in Georgia, I'd say that a little differently, and so would you. Okay? Grace be with y'all. You'd understand that if you were from Georgia. That's what it means. It's not just Titus who needs more of God's grace. It's not just individuals. It's not just those in leadership but the entire company of believers from one end of the island to the other end of the island needs to be touched by the grace of God. What will happen as God moves and works in us? What will happen if you and I become channels of God's grace here in Durham? If people can look at us, at our church family, at our individual families, at our various groups within this body of believers and say, there's an evidence of God's grace. First of all, God will be glorified. And the cause of Christ will be held in high regard. As people come face to face and encounter the grace of God. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I wonder this morning, let's, let's bow our heads we're in God's presence, perhaps as we've been looking at this passage, you've thought of those occasions, those times when you really have demonstrated, you've really manifest a very difficult character. You've stirred up other people. You've caused division. 
words you've spoken, perhaps even this week, this past week, have really wreaked havoc in the lives of others. Proverbs 18.21 says, The power of life and death is in the tongue. Perhaps you need the grace of forgiveness from God today. Perhaps there's some project God has put on your heart and God is challenging you to step out in faith. As I lead us in prayer, would you recommit yourself to God and pray that His grace in your life would give evidence that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you know nothing, this has all been a foreign language conversation, you really don't understand what God's grace is all about. Take time today and investigate the claims of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that you are willing to meet us in our great need. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who died in payment for our sin upon the cross. We pray, O God, that in a new and fresh way we might be channels of grace. Those of us who claim to be your children, those of us who claim to have been conquered by your grace, Lord, we pray that we would live by grace, we would serve by grace, we would invest in others as your grace equips us. We pray that you would forgive us where we have caused disruption, where our conduct, our words, our attitudes, our interaction with others have caused offense and have grieved your spirit. Please reign in us. Lord, we surrender to you and pray that this day would be a day of victory, a day of transition, a day of change when we move forward in grace, when we repent of our sin and turn wholeheartedly to Jesus who is called the Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.